Why are Christians living and walking like the rest of the world? We have a different hope. We've made a vow to our Savior Jesus Christ. We've dumbed down being a Christian. We brought it down to the world's level, to our level, to make it easy, and we can justify just about anything. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, let's open our Bibles, please. Get your Bibles and and please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to visit that again. We were there last week, and uh, but I want us to go back there this morning and and look at some things that uh, I think we certainly uh, missed and that we need to look at this morning. All right, everybody doing good this morning? Everybody say amen. All right, oh, y'all look a little tired or something this morning. So hey, give the Lord another hand this morning, okay? Please do that. And uh, we're here to worship him and, of course, show him his worth. And uh, just a reminder before we get started, Ephesians chapter 4, baby shower tonight after base at 7 o'clock for uh, Rachel and John, church-wide, men, women, children, whatever. Just come and, and, and let's encourage them. They have a brand-new, beautiful baby. We introduced them just a couple of weeks ago. But, uh, again, be here at 7 o'clock, and we'll just shower them with our love and our encouragement and some gifts, Okay. Well, here we go, Ephesians chapter 4, and the title of the series that we're in right now is called A Clearly Different Way to Walk, A Clearly Different Way to Walk, and this morning we're going to be looking at this, at this title, Seeing the Family Resemblance, Seeing the Family Resemblance. Now, um, now in our church, we have a set of twins, and, and they are Brennan and Dayton. Do y'all know who they are? Some of you, most of you. I tell you, I cannot tell those two apart. I've been here for three years, and there's nothing that I can do that I can tell those two apart. And even if one has glasses, one has glasses now, the other one doesn't. I just can't seem to even get that thing going on. But um, but anyways, there's a reason that they're identical twins, and there's a but that's the reason I can't tell them apart, right? Now I, you know there's a lot of really cool stories out there. And um, uh, I remember it was um, on the news or 60 Minutes or something quite a few years ago, but uh, there, was, um, there was a young lady, well, she was 20 years old, and she went to college. She lived in New York, and she went to college in Long Island. And she went to college, and, and when she arrived on campus, people just stared at her like they knew her. And people was always waving at her and being over friendly, and she was just really didn't know how to react or anything like that. And then, and then uh, one one week or two weeks into this, finally a guy came up to her and said, uh, "You know, you look a whole lot like so and so." And I mean, she could be she could be your twin. And the girl says, "I was I was I was adopted and I was raised by myself, you know, at you know here in New York, and and I don't have a sister." And he kept saying, and they kept talking, and it come to find out that these Justin's friend and this girl Tamara that he had just met, they they looked a lot alike. Uh, they were both born in Mexico, um, and that they had the same birthdays. And so Justin finally talked to her and saying, "Hey, you got to meet." And so some time went by, and they met at the McDonald's parking lot. And when they saw each other, their eyes were just fixed on each other. They couldn't imagine. They was like looking at each other in the mirror. And they got to talking, and sure enough, they were sisters. 
there were some complications during the adoption process, and neither parents knew that the other one had a twin sister. And so, so after all of that process, the two found out that they were sisters. Isn't that just kind of a cool story? You know, there's all kinds of cool stories out there, but, um, and that's just, of course, one of them. But stories like that, they often grip us. But even more amazing is the incredible true story of how spiritual DNA of our Heavenly Father, listen, renovates us, shapes us, and directs the lives of those who are truly His children by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody? I mean, you know, what, what makes those two, you know, Dayton and, and, and um, Brennan look alike is their DNA, Right? And, and what's even truly more amazing is what should make us look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, is that spiritual DNA, right, everybody? And it's truly amazing. Now, now it's kind of like a metamorphosis, and it's this inward change, and it's so, it's so pervasive, it's so decisive, and so certain that the New Testament fully, listen, fully expects every true Christian to be very different from what he or she was and what this world is. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. This inward change in the New Testament tells us and it shows us that, that there should be a change in all of us because of our spiritual DNA through Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on Calvary's Christ for us. There should be that spiritual DNA different. There should be something that makes us all look like each other it makes us look like Jesus. So, I mean, I wish I would have brought Dayton and uh, Brennan in here and showed you how, how exact they look. And I know many of you know, I mean, you can't tell them apart. And the truth is, Cornerstone, is that's how we should look to the world out there, that we should, we should, be, we should look so much like Jesus that people can't even tell us apart. Isn't that cool? Isn't that, isn't that something? That's, that's how the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ should work in the believer. And if that's not, everybody listen, if that's not how it is, then something's wrong because there should be, there is, there should be a clearly way, different way in which we walk as Christians when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. There, sh- there should be that spiritual DNA that, that, that invasively, changes us and causes us to be like our heavenly father through Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and we looked at it last week, I just want to bring your attention to a few things and we'll look at it. And let me ask you this morning, you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a Christian, prove it, the Bible says, prove it. And that's what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4. And so how do we prove it? How do I prove it? A changed and a changing life is how we do that. It's shown by our walk. It's shown that our walk is clearly different from the world. And for true Christians, habits will be reformed into different directions. Listen to this. As Christians in our spiritual DNA and as we take the word of God and apply it to our lives and if we're serious about him and we're serious about being like our savior and, and, and how we should all look the same unto him, our language ought to get cleaned up. Can I have an amen to that? You know, our language ought to get cleaned up. And this was, I've said this testimony of myself to you before, but you know, I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I was, I, you know, my, I had great moral parents and they were beautiful and great people. And of course my mom's passed away and, but my, and my dad, you know, he got saved since, since all of this, but you know, 
I was raised in a home where, you know, every other word was a four-letter word. And, and I remember when I got saved, I mean, it, it just cleaned up. I mean, God took that and just, you know, there's a spiritual DNA there. So, so, so we, got, we got to clean it up. Our language gets cleaned up. Impulses towards self-centered, self-promoting, self-satisfying pursuits. Listen, those things are all overhauled. And then there is a sense of wrongdoing in a, when there's a sense of wrongdoing in a Christian, when he or she tries to satisfy the needs of themselves, that's taken care of. And then there is a shift from living for the body to living for Christ and his kingdom. And that's all about that spiritual DNA, that metamorphosis, that transforming. These changes, listen, Cornerstone, are not negotiable. Can I have an amen? Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. These changes, this clearly different walk as Christians were to walk into becoming like Christ, it is non-negotiable for born-again believers. It's non-negotiable. We don't get to say, well, my, wife, my life was like this, and so therefore this is the way I am, and this is how I'm always going to be. Guess what? We don't get to negotiate what we are and who we are and how we perceived Christ to be in this world. It is a non-negotiable. And the problem is, as I think, is that we've all made these things negotiables in some sense in our lives. But in, in the Bible clearly says and shows us that these things are non-negotiable. Everybody? Non-negotiable. This clearly different way of walking is, again, non-negotiable. They are absolutely there to flow from that kinsman relationship with him. Our walk is different. This walk or these lively attributes are the natural byproduct of belonging to God's family. You know, we see that all throughout the Bible, the New Testament, all over the place, um, I don't know if we have these verses up on the screen or not, but, uh, but the Old Testament talked about it too. Look with me, if you will, at Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is where the Old Testament prophet foresees the saving work of Christ with these breathtaking words. And look at it. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Again, this is talking about that metamorphosis, that spiritual DNA that when we get saved and we become born again, this new birth in Jesus Christ, something takes place and we put forth that effort to allow those things to take place and we work at changing our walk for him. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove, I will, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. A new heart, a new spirit, a new ability to obey. And then in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus was sought out covertly by a leader in the Jewish Sanhedrins, and he had some questions. And we know through that story that Jesus sets forth the great need of us all. And he said, I assure you, Unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see that word, born again? And then in verse 7, he tells Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. This is the language of a new kind of life. Listen, we don't just get to say, you know what, today I'm just going to be a Christian and, uh, and I'll have 
good fire insurance, and, and, and so if something happens to me, I get to go to heaven. That's all wonderful, and that's great, and that's certainly true, right, Brooke? But that's not what all there is about being a Christian. To be a Christian first, you've got to be born again. And you got to be born again. Just like he told Nicodemus, he says, be born again. And, and, it's, and as he explained, it's not that we come back through our mother's womb and we're reborn. It means that we're reborn in Jesus Christ and that he called us and that we accepted that salvation. And knowing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, we repent of our sins and we have a beautiful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And understanding that, we know to take on his spiritual DNA, there's going to be a metamorphosis that takes place. And he's put a new spirit in us, a new hope in us, and a new, a new effort for us to look into the future, and we're to reflect the Father, we're to reflect our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? And, and, but you got to be born again. I was looking at a couple of books this week, and I want to share, share this with you, and I, I thought this was very interesting because I think um, in, our, in our modern culture, we, be, we become so postmodern that we that we that we forget this basic instruction to us as Christians and I think it's very relevant for us today as I was looking at some things I did some research and um, the Barna group they do a lot of research and they report trends among professing Christians nationwide and I'm not going to bother you with all those details we've, we've said most of them before but what they did was is they said you know born again, Christians are really no different from the rest of the world, you know, um, um, you know, when it comes to divorce, when it comes to different things, really Christians are not any different in statistics than the rest of the world. And they use the word born again, born again. Um, I was looking at a book by uh, the author uh, Ron Sider, there was a book called The Scandal of the, the Evangelical Conscience. And he said this, he said, why are Christians li living just like the rest of the world? And he asserts that only 9% that only of Christians tithe, and just as many Christians divorce than non-Christians. And he said, out of the 12,000 teenagers who took the pledge to wait for marriage, 80% had sex before they got married. Why are Christians living and walking like the rest of the world? We have a different hope. We've made a vow to our Savior Jesus Christ. We've, we've dumbed down being a Christian. We brought it down to the world's level, to our level, to make it easy, and we can justify just about anything. Our, our patience, our humility, our love to people, our sarcasm, all these things, we, we've, we've dumbed it down, we've brought the standard down just to like the rest of the world, but we call ourselves born again. I was reading a book uh, by John Piper, and, and again, he was talking about, I think the name of the, the article is an article, and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, um, why Christians do the same as everyone else. I mean, so you got the Barner Research calling, calling them born again. You've got Cyper calling them evangelicals. But the New Testament is not that favorable in its estimation, ladies and gentlemen. 
Instead of assuming that there are truly born-again people who are permeated with worldliness, the Bible asserts that the church is permeated with worldly people who are not born again. The Bible says this. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now, last week and this week and a few weeks to come, we're going to hold up the mirror of God's word, and we're going to do what, what 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 says, or what it exhorts. He says, test yourselves if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. We will look at the power that produces this change and measure our growth to see how we're doing. And we're also going to see what it means when we keep failing and failing over and over again, okay? So this morning, let me just give you this one powerful principle and then we'll be done. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, please. All right, are you born again? Are you born again? Raise your hand if you're born again. Raise your hand if you're born again. And, and, so, and so that means that you should have the, the Father's spiritual DNA. That means that what's important to him should be important to you. And how you walk, you should be walking like our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should look the same. You should be able to come to my house and see the same thing in your house, which you would go, go to the Father's house and see. Well, is that how it is? Is your walk clearly different? Look, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, and we, we read this last week, but we're going to look at it this week and again the week after. Paul says, therefore, okay, now when we're, when, we're, when we're looking at Scripture, when we see the word therefore, that means that he is looking back to chapters 1 through 3, and he's saying, in lieu of, here you go. So that's an important word for us to look at. So when we see the word therefore, we kind of want to go back and we want to see what Paul was talking to about here to the Ephesians church. And we'll, and we'll look at that here in just a second. But the word therefore, and he says, I, the prisoner of the Lord. So now in my vivid imagination, when I look at this, we know that Paul is under house arrest. But I'm kind of thinking that Paul's in shackles here, okay? And he's got change. He's got handcuffs on. Anybody ever have put handcuffs on him before? <laughs> yeah. One person was honest, yes. And uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. He's a visitor for his first time here this morning. Thank you for telling us so much about yourself. I'm kidding around. <laughs> no. We're, thank you for being. Yeah. I mean, so here's, so here's the Apostle Paul. And I'm thinking, here he is. Here's this great man of God. And he's shackled. And he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's addressing people. And this is my mind. You got it, teenagers? And he's, and he's, he's bound. And he's saying, he says, therefore, he just said everything in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We'll look at it here in a second. And then he says, I, he says, therefore, I. And he's saying to him, he's saying, I'm a prisoner. But it's all worth it. It's worth being a Christian, it's worth giving up. It's worth walking. I, it's worth it all. I mean, I mean, most of us, when 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 we get into hard 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 times, we just want to give up. But here's Paul, and he's handcuffed, and he's and he's chained, and he's saying, "I can tell you that even as a prisoner, it's worth every bit of walking differently 
just as Christ walked. We get it here? And then he says these next words, and we talked about this last week. He says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, and he's saying it's, it's, it's clearly, it's, it's, it's worth it all. He says, I implore you. You remember that word, beseech in the King James, implore in the New American Standard. In some translations, use the word urge. And again, that word picture is Paul is, is in his shackles. He's out of breath. And that word means that he has something so important to tell you that he can't hardly get his breath. Just like when Tommy for the first time told me that she loved me. She couldn't breathe. It was so important. She had to get it off her, off her chest. Just kidding around. But here's, that's, what we wanted, that's what we're looking at here in this text. And, and, and he says, he says I, I implore you. I, remember the word summons, just like you get a summons to be on jury duty. They're not asking you if you want to or not. You have to, right? And so that's the language here in the New Testament. Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in what? Love, in love. So Paul opens his exhortation with the reminder to his readers Again, that he is in jail because he has practiced what this verse describes. He holds out his change to us. And again, he says the truth is worth being in prison for. He's saying it's worth dying for. And he also adds, again, that connecting word, referring back to chapters 1 to 3. Let me expand on that just a little bit and what chapters 1 through 3 was. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions because chapters 1 through 3, this is what it was talking about. And so he says, therefore, and he's saying it's worth it, the truth truth is worth it. It's worth walking worthy of the vocation in which you are called. And he's saying, he's saying this in those chapters. He's saying this, and I ask you, Cornerstone, I ask you, do you believe that as a Christian you have been blessed? Do you believe that? Okay, clap your hands, say yes, say amen, something. Let's get a movement here. Okay, do you believe that? Do you believe that as a Christian you have been blessed? Do you believe that you were adopted through Jesus Christ? He's your Abba Father. Do you believe that? Yes. Yes, we believe that. Do you believe that you have redemption through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that? Danny, do you believe that? Well, stand up and, no, I'm just kidding. Don't stand up. He'll do it. Yeah, okay, I just want to get some affirmation from you guys, okay? Do you believe that you've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption? Do you believe that? Absolutely, we believe that. Do you believe that you have been, that you, that you were once dead in your trespasses and now you're made alive in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're going to live for eternity with him in the kingdom of heaven? Do you believe that? Boy, I do. I do. That's, why, that's the only reason I can get up some mornings because I believe that. Um, do you really believe, um, do you believe that you are his creation, that you are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus came to this earth and died for your sins, that he hung on the cross, and that he did that so that you could live a life today worthy of him? Do you believe that? Boy, I do. I do. I do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's households? 
Do you believe that your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Victory Baptist Church and that congregation of people are your, are your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you believe that the, that the people down in Eagle Drive Baptist Church are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that we have something in common and that is Jesus Christ and that we have the word, the gospel, the good news to, to share with others? Do you believe that? Boy, I do. Do you, be, do you believe that, uh, that you are being built together as God's dwelling? Ephesians says that. Ephesians chapter 2. Do you really believe that God is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Paul says, I believed it. And he says, it's worth being a prisoner for. It's worth walking that way for. And it's even worth dying for. He says, I beseech you, I summons you, And here's another great nugget. The word on which this phrase turns, look at your Bibles or look at the screen. Is the word worthy. Is the word worthy. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I implore you, I beg you, I summon you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. The manner worthy. Now, that word worthy is a really good word. And again, this is a, from a word study. And I, you know, I encourage all of you to, to do word studies. And, and, and I, want you to, I, want to give you, I want you to see the treasure in this word worthy. In the Greek, it's 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 where it's it's we, we get the transliteration, I A X O U S, which we get our English word A X I S, which is what, axis, right? It's where we get our word axis. In Paul's day, the word referred to a method, and this word worthy, and 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 I set you up here from chapters one to three. We all clapped hands and we all said yes, and we all believe that God did those things for us, right? Everybody say amen. And 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 so this word worthy is referred to in this Greek picturesque language. This word referred to a method for measuring weight. It, this word was used for measuring weight. Now, picture, if you will, something like a child's teeter-totter, okay? A child's teeter-totter, you know, one gets on one side, the other one gets on the other side, and they teeter-totter back and forth. How? how? There's an axis right there in the middle, right? And so something is placed on one side of the beam, and the word worthy, listen close, the word worthy means to add weight to the other side of the beam so that it's equal. You put weight on one side, and it goes down, right? Right? You add, but then this word worthy means to add weight to the other side. Look at it. To what? To balance it. That is the word worthy that Paul, that the Holy Spirit chose for us 
And he says, I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you in this manner to be worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. I shortened it up, I understand. But this word worthy means to add weight to the other side of the beam so that it's equal. It means to balance the scales. Now you add that meaning back into the verse and you read it again. And Paul is basically saying here in this chapter chapter 4, verse 1, Paul puts it all together, and he's saying pretty much, basically, he says, put all that Jesus has done for you on one side, everything that he's blessed you with, everything he's done, you, done for you, he says, put that on one side of this scale, of this teeter-totter, and, and he says, now, place your life on the other side and see if it balances out. And that's the walk that he's talking about, guys. He's saying, you take, we said, well, all we believe, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Everybody said, yes, amen, we know that he did. We said, do you think that God can, has concealed you to the day of redemption? You said, yes. So all these things that we know that Jesus Christ did for us, and it's, and it's weighted on one side, and then this word worthy means, he's saying, walk worthy of this. So when we put our life on the other side, How does it balance out? How does it balance out? How does what we do, what we say, how we act, our walk as Christians, do we balance the scale of what Jesus Christ has done for us? Do we balance that scale? Stand back and look carefully. This morning, get honest and ask yourselves, does my attitude towards other people, does my attitude towards my spouse, my spouse, my guidance of my children, my behavior on the job, does that balance out what Jesus Christ did for me, what he died for me for? Does it balance out? Am I walking worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ? Am I walking worthy of what it means to be a Christian? Do I have the same spiritual DNA as my Savior, Jesus Christ? You see it? Do you see it, teenagers? My temperance behind the will. <laughs> That's the one I fell at. My temper behind the will. My, f- my faithfulness to God in small things. My willingness to sacrifice. My words to or about other people. Now, I'm not talking about me on those, okay? Just the one about driving and getting mad at people. How about my involvement in spiritual opportunities with the church? We just had vacation Bible school. Where were a lot of you? Let me ask you, does it, does it measure up to or reflect what my Savior has done for me? Huh? The scale. What he's done for us and what our life, and we place our life. Do we balance the scales? That's what this verse is talking about. That's the imagery that the Holy Spirit has for us as believers? Or have we just settled for another standard that the Barna group describes where there is little or no real difference between you and the world? What is it? You see, I want him to increase, and therefore myself, I have to decrease. Isn't that what the Scripture says? I want to come to the place where my life from the inside out is pleasing to my God. I think that we should all get up and with this in mind, in every day that we live, in every situation that we face, 
We're to balance those scales, not because we earn salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of our works. It's not what we can earn. But because but because we believe and because we're born again, we do have the responsibility. And every day we should say, okay, am I balancing it out? Do I treat my wife in the way that I should treat her? Do I treat my husband the way I should treat him? Am I, am I, am I leading my children and, and as children, as teenagers, am I being respectful to my parents? If I go to the work and job, am I just acting like the rest of the world or am I actually living up and balancing the scales of what God expects from me? Am I doing that? Because that is the clearly different way to walk. Can I have an amen? Is it hard? Does that mean that we can just do what we want to? No. You have a different spiritual DNA. You are, if you are a born-again believer, it's, non, it's a non-negotiable, ladies and gentlemen. It's a non-negotiable. You know, the reason the, the, the reason the Christian church isn't making the difference in the world today is because we act just like the world. I mean, if we were like the first church in the book of Acts that we see, I mean, they, this first-generation Christians, they reached the whole known world, period. And today we've got airplanes and helicopters and rockets, and we've got, we've got telephones, and we, because we lowered the standard. It's because we lowered the standard. And look, I'm not saying we're bad people and we should stop coming to church. My, I, I, I'm your preacher, right? And my job is to get you in the corner and, and do the old Muhammad Ali rub-a-dub, not rub-a-dub-dub, whatever it was called. And, and, and uh, I think that's from that bath commercial. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But, uh, but not to let you out until I convince you, until I persuade you as your preacher because I love you and I want us to be all what we can be for Jesus Christ. Listen, we got that scale out there today, don't we? Is it balanced? Is it balanced? Okay, Let's look at a couple more things, and, uh, I, and then we'll, we'll be done just real quick here. Um, George Mueller, um, I, maybe a lot of you haven't heard of him, but uh, he was a wonderful preacher evangelist in the late 1800s, and uh, just, a, just, just a great guy. There's a lot of biographies on him, um, and then, of course, he even has his own autobiography. But uh, he's quoted by saying this. He's quoted by saying this. Um, He said, there was a day when I died. Died to George Mueller. Died as George Mueller. Died to the world and its approval. Died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. I think that's beautiful. The Bible says that this miraculous inside-out change out change is the experience, should be, ought to be the experience of every true believer. Listen, every true believer. We should be balancing those scales. And when you balance those scales, listen, you know you're walking the right kind of way because it's a clearly different way to walk. Again, there's that metamorphosis. And that word, that word morphu means form, and, and, and esis means change. 
and it refers to the real inner essence of a person or thing. And, and when we reply that word to ourselves, it describes that we've changed, that our spiritual DNA has taken that transformation. And again, balancing those scales. And so since God changes us from the inside out, what exactly does Christ-likeness look at? And we saw it last week, but just real quick, I want you to look at these, at these four words, these four attributes that, that Paul shows us. We're not going to go through them in detail, but I want you to see them real quick this morning one more time, and then we'll move forward from here. Notice four attitudes that show a worthy walk. Again, balancing the scales, right, everybody? Number one, look at the word humility. He says that we should have humility. Humility says, what does it say? Humility says, I don't have to have my way. Humility says, things don't necessarily have to please me because I can see that it's meeting the needs of others. Humility. Even God uh, and James, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of God that he may lift you up, right? There needs to be humbleness and salvation as well as how we walk and how we treat other people. Then the second word is gentleness. Um, He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he says, I beseech you, I urge you, I summon you to walk worthy. That word worthy means, means, means balancing the scale. We're to balance that scale of the calling you have received with all humility and what? Gentleness. The term was used in the New Testament days to describe a horse that had been broken. The animal still has its strength. The animal still has its spirit, but it's under the control of another. Listen, are you gentle? Are you gentle? Yes, you have the ability. You have your nature. You have your spirit. You have all those things. But are you under the control of another and that another is the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that that, that control is God himself? It's not given into your appetite. Are you gentle? Do we balance the scale on that? Being gentle... Yes, we can do, but being gentle means that we're under the control of another. James 3.13 reminds us of this value and virtue, and he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. James 3.13. Let me ask you this. Everybody listen. We're almost done. Do you have a reputation as one who puts others in their place? and polices the church and just plays church politics? If so, it's a good indicator that your life is out of balance with your identity as a Christian. Can I have an amen? You're not measuring up to the calling of Jesus Christ. Next, patience. Look at it. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he says, I beseech you, I urge you to walk worthy, to balance that of your calling you have received with all humility and gentleness with what? Patience. Literally, the word means long-tempered, or as one person suggested, suggested, you know, uh, long-fused. This is all, listen close, this is all about how you respond to frustrations, to inconveniences, to delays to aggravating people and maddening circumstances. It means you have a long fuse. Is it it easy all the time? No. 
But when we place ourselves under the control of another, let me tell you, it gets a lot easier. We've got to stop and think. Everybody say amen. Does it happen overnight? Not always, but it can. But, but, but we know as a Christian that we're to be what? Long-suffering, long-fused. We're not to let our inner person come out in a rage and, and do things. We're to be long-suffering. We're to balance that scale. Again, that's a non-negotiable that's, that's our calling. Are we balancing this scale? I mean, the Holy Spirit's putting it out there. Are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Are you patient with those around you? Are you patient with your kids? Are you patient with your, with your, with your pastor sometimes? Nobody's perfect. Amen? We all have shortcomings, but we're said to be, we're to be long-suffering. We're to be patient. We're to be patient. And then we see the last one here, and we looked at it in depth last week, but he says, bearing with one another in love, with humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Literally, this means putting up with people. Did you know that? This means putting up with people. It's kind of a messy word for people that you don't like, but, but, but this, is, this is as real as it gets. Um, bearing with one another in love means enduring other people's differences, their quirks, their irritating habits. It means realizing, you know, again, that the pastor has gaping holes sometimes um, in his sanctification. It means coming to terms with the fact that there are some people who are just grumpy and critical and unreliable, but it's balancing the scales. You know, um, my dad and I worked together for about 11 years. We owned an auto, part, auto parts store together in, in, in my formative years. And uh, let me tell you what, he didn't like me and I didn't like him. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, know, I had a, you know, my idea was going to work at 8.30 in the morning and working till midnight. My dad's idea was getting to the parts store at 5 o'clock in the morning and working till 6. I kind of thought it balanced out there. You know, he could, took the early shift a little bit and I took the late shift. No, he wanted me to, to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning with him. And, and so, my, you know, so he, he got, you know, he was grumpy. I'll just say it. You know, he was irritating. But, you know... Um, um, my responsibility was to balance that scale because the high calling I have in Jesus Christ, because it's my reasonable service as a Christian. Now, I wasn't saved back then, so it didn't work out until I did get saved. But when I did get saved, our things changed. And then my dad got saved, and then things really changed. And so, I mean, I mean, we've got to balance that scale. And, and when it means loving them, loving them, putting up with people, it's, it's, it's accepting one another in love. Um, love bears all things. It believes all things. Hope, hope endures all things. Love never ends, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when you forbear those who get on your nerves, you, you stop thinking that that person bothers me and replaces it with, with, with something else. It's called balancing the scales. Now listen, these are just some of the attitudes for balancing out the skill. What all Jesus Christ has given you and blessed you with, that's on one side. Are you showing yourselves worthy unto that calling? Does your life balance that out? That's the question for us this morning, amen? Are we balancing that out in all humility, in our gentleness, in our patience, in our long-suffering, are we balancing that?
Are we? If we're not, then we've got some work to do. Amen? It's non-negotiable. It's not something that we pick up and choose. It's something that we say, through the power and might of Jesus Christ and through my humility in him, that I can do all things in Christ. Do you believe that? I do. Let's balance the scales, okay? Let's all stand and we'll...